I think he really fucked that dude's arm up when he kicked him. Oh yeah. The guy, the guy holding yeah, the like, pads. Yeah, like his hand afterwards. Yeah. Because he certainly isn't holding back. I mean, and it's not like he's pulling any punches when he's, you know, he's doing his thing. Yeah, it's his thing. <laughs> his thing. <laughs> And today we're going to be closing out. Are we closing it out? Uh, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe. We're, we're closing we think our so. 90s action series with an 85, 1985 <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, there wasn't, we wanted to lean on Chuck one last time, right? And, yeah, and we want to close it out with, with, with one last 90s dude. And we both have had fond memories of Code of Silence directed by Andrew Davis. Um, man, <laughs> we mm. were, we were youthful and, and wide eyed. It was all brand new. <laughs> yes. Oh man. All right. Well, anyway, so 1985 code of silence, Andrew Davis written from a script by uh, Michael Butler and Dennis Reich, who originally written this script, um, what, like seven years earlier as a dirty Harry sequel it was going to be called dirty Harry code of silence this was supposed to be um the next movie in the series and instead they went with uh, several years later in 83 went with a sudden impact yeah i think this like we talked about earlier this is probably a better dirty harry movie than than a chuck norris vehicle or a better uh, steven seagal movie oh yeah and even so because which, this is which like, it is <laughs> this because damn it if danger davis doesn't bring yeah, like 90 percent of the cast <laughs> Right. And, and plot. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> to Above the Law was Steven Seagal's debut, which we've talked about twice now since yeah. in this series. Uh, it's, yeah, the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, oh, oh, that's the guy from, that was the thing, like, find the guys from Above the Law. That was seemed to be the move in the movie because it was not nearly as entertaining as I recall it being. No, uh, yeah, you know, it, here's the thing it, it, what it suffers from is just, there's just not a lot that happens right. and they have to stretch it out to 95 minutes. Um, and you know, it, it, I don't want to say it suffers from, um, right. but it does, it does have, it, it's got a lot of, it feels a lot like a Canon movie, but it's not a Canon movie. So right. it, it has elements of a Canon movie, but they just didn't go hundred percent Canon. It was like, right? it was like a studio decided Hey, the, those kinds of movies are making money. Let's try They're one. cashing in on this Chuck Norris kid. Yeah. But, I mean, there's money in the movie, though. Yeah. You, you can see it. I don't know how much money, but <laughs> it's well, there. Well, I mean, you know, it, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a fairly, I, I feel like this might have been, I feel like at the time this was also considered, this was considered the first real sort of Chuck Norris movie. Like, right. it was, you know, made by a real director, had a studio behind it, um, you know. It was, it was considered a fairly, you know, it was a minor, you know, it was a minor hit 
And I think it was also kind of got fairly favorable um, reviews, you know, from the uh, from the from real critics, Roger Ebert and such, um, you know, and uh, it kind of launched Andrew Davis and it and then but Chuck just kind of jumped right back into canon after this. Yeah, that's what was so funny about it, because I felt like uh, what's a good comparable for this movie for Chuck. I'm like, oh, this is kind of like Jean-Claude's Nowhere to Run, where we're totally. Felt, it felt like, all right, this wasn't, he stepped away from the stuff that we know Chuck for, and you kind of get through it, and you're like, oh, yeah. But then, like you said, <laughs> they got IMDb, and I forgot all about what well, he's went right back at with the mission, missing in action movies. And it was like, oh, yeah. Wow. In action, Firewalker, <laughs> uh, you know, the list goes on. But at least, at least for Firewalker, it wasn't the usual, usual. I mean, granted, right. it's a canon movie, but it wasn't the usual crap they would Dude, put out. Dude, Firewalker's fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, Invasion USA is another, and it's fun. Um, it's funny because I think Chuck just went right back to, you know, I feel like maybe this, maybe he even thought this movie was a little boring, you know, for him. Like yeah. he's used to explosions and driving trucks through malls and, you know, super villains and... Because this villain, you know, I mean, they don't do, there's just not a lot that happens with this whole, you know, there's, there's a blood feud between these two mafia families. Right. Is there? Is there there? I keep hearing about this. It's the, the Camachos and the Lunas. The Camachos and. And the Scalises. The Scalises, yeah. Luna is just one of the. Tony Luna is just like a, a, like a linchpin. Yeah. for, For, you know, I mean, I think he's in two scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. Well, three. Three, right. Yeah. And I, and I keep thinking, it, I, the whole time I kept looking at him thinking it was Vito Anafermo. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, it's this, okay, let's just go because there's not a lot to to yeah. um, compliment the movie on, um, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's just us. Maybe a first timer would enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean. Anyway, so the movie, the movie starts off with, very much like the beginning of Beverly Hills Cop too, like we talked about. It's early morning, you know, lots of hustle and bustle, trash trucks, people on their way to work and all that crap. And uh, and it's played underneath a far too common score of <laughs> of uh, poor saxophone players. And uh, I don't know what else you want to put underneath. There's some overwrought strings. It's 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 really rough. You just, it feels like stock music, honestly. Yeah, dude, it feels like something from like you know any of the any any of those weird canon movies like Exterminator Two or or even like you know the even the, even the Exterminator One. Yeah. It just kind of has a generic sort of like you know, you know, just a generic feel to it. Right. Yeah, it's all wacky. So anyway, so and then there, we see his trash truck and like there's some dude walking around like hanging on the back of the truck and wait, is that Chuck Norris? It's Chuck Wait Norris. A it is well, Chuck he's Norris. A tra- he's he's a trash. Wait, is this? Do I not remember this movie at all? Is he a? Do you say garbage man that goes out for revenge? I mean, I don't. <laughs> if only I don't remember. And and then I'm like, oh yeah. And then and then we see a fairly young Dennis Farina, um, driving the trash truck. I'm like, oh, it's coming back to me now. I'm like, oh, and you start from there. You start seeing everybody around and, and very familiar Chicago actor. Former PD <laughs> actors everywhere, right? 
like all like every one of those dudes like look like a real cop and yeah. i'm sure they were yeah. and it's funny cuz davis used all these guys multiple times yes above the law they're all in the fugitive all in the fugitive yeah yeah basically in the, in the just like with this movie and above the law and the fugitive he just he takes all the same people and then he puts bigger stars on top of it to appease the studio and that's that would that's his way of casting a movie yeah, it's cool, man, because I don't no. have any problem with any of those face dude. No. They all the faces, they all look the part. Oh yeah. You know, and they they're putting their team in place on the garbage. He's on the garbage truck, riding on the back of the garbage truck. Yeah. He just looks so wrong with his vest and his kerchief when, when you see him for the first time. <laughs> I'm like, what in the hell is going on? So they got this, they got a uh, an informant that's involved in all this, and he's and he just starts talking to them randomly on the on the the deck of the L. And he's just like going off about, hey, cop, you listen to me. And just, I'm like, oh, okay. So he's wired up. And he right? goes and picks up a guy and they, and they end up in this building that they're with one of the out. With one of the best mullets I've ever seen. Yes. Dude, this guy, we the uh, Andrew, like you said, used them again and above the law. I don't recall anything else. But dude, that guy... That guy's authentic Chicago, Illinois. He doesn't, there's, there's nothing about this dude that makes you think, oh yeah, he's from another state. No. Shit, not even another city. He's from Chicago. Right. <laughs> he, they get made their way to the building they've been staking out and everyone's you know, reaffirming their positions and it seems like that goes on forever. I feel like it does. it's a long walk with the informant picking up his guy and then their long walk to the house. It's just... Weird. And, well, there's you know there's a lot to set up, right? You're setting up, you know, who these guys are, and then you know, and then we get to the park, and you know, we get the we got the old crusty cop and the shiny new rookie. Yeah, and this crusty old cop you'll recognize not by name, by face a little bit, but the second you hear the voice, you go, "That's the dude from Home Alone." Oh yeah, and if you've seen the Home Alone, you all have. And the opening, or not the opening, but one, the, the movie, the black and white gangster movie that, that uh, Kevin ends up using to ward off uh, uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern later on in the movie. He is the dude here. So again, Home Alone, Chicago-based movie. There you go, another one of those situations. Well, dude, I also find it find it weird. Well, we'll get to it. I, I just have to remember so I don't forget. I'll throw it out there. But the whole dude... I thought we barely. I thought we got cheated on our John Mahoney in striking distance, dude. Right, and as soon as he, so yeah, we can't see. We'll get there. Um, everyone's in position, and they make their the their informant and their their salesman on Ojor. They make their way into the into the apartment, start making their deal, and all that's happening. A paint, you know, a paint van rolls up, and them four dudes jump out, and they go into the. To the the house next door to I mean obviously to paint I'm guessing right <laughs> everyone's like I don't know there's paint dudes who are those guys oh they're just doing their job let them go right they're going into a build they're going to a building across the alley yeah and then some uh, communication exchange between uh, all the undercover cops and it's like wait that place is getting torn down soon why are they painting it it's getting torn down oh shit something's going on finally so everybody <laughs> engages and it's where are they, by the way? Where are the? Where are they? So far away from from the apartment, because nobody nobody gets near them. They're already like almost done with the robbery before they show up. I feel like they were they were all staking it out ten blocks away. Yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I'm like, where is everybody? I'm sorry. 
if it's a stakeout and it requires you to get into a car, you're too far away. Just, just like take. Yeah. Oh, I know. Anyway, so these pink guys are like, we're just saying, were they there to rob place? So they throw a scaffolding across the two windows after they've blown the shit out of the apartment and killed everybody. Um, blow coke and money everywhere. I always love that too. <laughs> when the room gets shot up, why is the money getting shot in the air? What's going on here? Because right? the last time I saw the money, it was like in bands and stuff. So why is it all of a sudden flying through the air? And I didn't realize bullets can do that. So anyway, the cocaine thing I get, that's kind of funny, but it's, at the, I mean, at least in 85, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't old hat yet. Cause no, not yet. And people hadn't done it very much yet. And, uh, as the, the last dude is making his way across, uh, back to his abandoned building, he gets shot a couple of times and he falls awkwardly off the scaffolding. Very I kinda, awkwardly. I kind of think that he probably could have made it across, but he does this weird thing where he gets shot from the right side and that's the side that he falls to. I think he would have gone the other way, but whatever. You would, I, yeah, I don't know why he turns back toward where he just came from. Yeah. <laughs> falls down and. Reminded me of Barn Shoots Elias. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole thing is so weird, dude, because. Part of what we see in there is that Victor is there, and this is Victor Camacho. He's we'll find out he's actually the younger brother of the the vicious gang drug drug gang known as the Camachos. The Camachos, <laughs> the Macho Camachos. It's really it's really kind of messed up. But anyway, the, the the cops finally make it there, and they start rushing the place and shooting people. Like we said, we shot the the one guy getting away. Um, everybody else seems to be getting away. There's a little shootout in the apartment the apartment building and then both apartment buildings come to think of it. And and one of them was a really weird one. And I still don't know. It's so loosely based. And I think this is where you start. This is the part that feels like Dirty Harry here. This was like strictly written for, for Clint. Oh, yeah. Is when Craig, you know, Detective Craigie shoots a kid that comes running out of apartment uh, an apartment and he just shoots him dead kid wasn't armed or anything just shot him and no then, but we we saw that kid briefly earlier as as the painters went down the hall he was you know so you, you kind of knew something was going to happen to that poor kid yeah yeah and, so, and craggy bastard yeah shot she shoots him up he wasn't with his with his you know brand new partner capellus and Capellus. Capello, uh, i'll just say nick so. <laughs> nick let's just call him nick, nick. deputy nick Nick <laughs> and Nick comes around the corner to see Craigie like putting his uh his throwaway uh ankle three bangers on in a kid's hand. I've never understood in movies why they always do that, where it's always like you know, the, the burner gun like that stuck in his hand. It's always some tiny little thing. I'm like, come on, this movie is full of snub noses. Have you noticed that? How many were used in this movie? Oh, yeah, like, a Dude, lot. everybody's got a snub nose 38. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sorry, but a Stemnos 38 can fit at your ankle because it I mean, does. That thing looks that thing looks like a 25. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, a, a three banger. I think it looks. I think it's got like four rounds or something. Right, it's, it's tiny. It's a tiny gun. A tiny gun, and that comes into play again later on too. Beyond this, this beyond this particular gun, that comes into play again later. You see him put the the, the weapon in the kid's hand to kind of say, "Oh, he had a gun." And so the story has started, and of course, Nick is like the rookie that he is. He's like totally uncomfortable about it and just like not into it he's that guy 
he's the guy in this movie. And, the, and again, this is when you know ahead of time that this is a Dirty Harry movie. It little things you you can tell which were from the original script and and things that weren't reworked for for Chuck because this is right. this is when I mean I think the plot and everything as a whole is probably still exactly what it was supposed to be for for Clint and I think everything else is that's peppered with a Chuck is just for Chuck. Um, yeah, they exactly. I mean, it, it, they pretty much they just I feel like they just kept the basic script, moved it to Chicago, and then threw in you know the karate pieces, yeah. you know, the, to, to cater to Norris's strengths. Yeah. Makes you wonder what they cut out. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, pretty bare bones. Well, I mean, I maybe mean, not cut out, but the, what, what was underneath that they made for, for Chuck. It's like, but if you, but if you pull out all the karate stuff in it, doesn't it just work as a straight ahead, dirty, hairy movie? I mean, it pretty much is a dirty, hairy movie. There's not yeah. even really that much karate in it. I feel like the only, Karate is the you know is the, is the scene we talked about earlier when you know where he's doing like looks like he's doing like a public workout <laughs> <laughs> right like he's a boxer like, like it's the week before <laughs> the big fight yeah totally yeah I don't know it's weird by the way I wanted to point out too another another staple to Chicago is the Cusack family so I I, w- I was wondering like uh, obviously. This was a, you know, this was a Dirty Harry movie. So, uh, so Cusack wasn't, uh, Eddie Cusack was not the name of the lead. Um, but that's, I'm just curious. I mean, if that was just a, a nod, did somebody know somebody? Did somebody yeah. know the Cusack family to, to name him that? But well, I mean, I think Cusack is kind of a common name. It, it is, especially, as, yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of interesting that, I mean, at that point, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think the shirt. The kids had already done like 16 candles and right. well, 85, so better off dead. Sure thing. Sure thing. Yeah. Anyway, we're doing that thing anyway. again where we talk about other movies. <laughs> right. Keep moving, <laughs> moving forward and moving on. <laughs> anyway, uh, so did they catch anybody? Everybody gets away, right? Yes, yeah. everybody. I mean, everybody gets away. They they shoot a couple of people dead. Either people either get killed or they get away in this movie. There's no like, although they do they do take uh, Victor into custody, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a there's that whole scene of them like nine dudes interrogating him. Right. <laughs> he's which like is weird. And, and yeah, he's like because he gets shot in it. He doesn't die. He's part of the group that gets shot up by the robbers. So they do the whole bit. Like I said, he's he's. By the way, since we're talking about lack of squibs and evidence of and bullet wounds in this movie, all I could tell about him is that he got punched in the face or something because his nose was bloody. Right. Like that was it. that was it. I didn't see anything else like to make me think that he needs to be on that gurney when they wheel him out. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't he get shot? Did, uh, yeah, I can't because right. I mean, I, at first I thought he got shot, and then but then when we see him later, there's like nothing wrong with him. No. He's like any any fights in it too, right? I'm like, I'm sorry, man, but if you got shot, even if you were wearing a vest, if you got shot that at that, you know, with that kind of caliber weapon they were shooting him with, he would have been bruised and uncomfortable not to be able to fight that way. And plus, that's another thing about these movies that kill me. I'm like, why the fuck is Henry Silva at every moment that something needs to happen? Like when he's got his gang, like go get him. Like, well, go get him. Fine. Why do you have to be there? 
the whole point of you having a bunch of henchmen to do your dirty work for you is two, you don't have to get your hands dirty. And uh, <laughs> sorry, one and two. And Dude. two and two, you, you you can plausible deniability because you weren't there. Right. They just gotta show up everywhere. And, and why does you know, and why do all of his guys, all of his mem all, all the dudes in his gang, they all look like someone took Menudo and full force and mashed them into like um right. you know, I mean, dude, some of those guys are so buff they can't even move. Like when they're trying to run out of the building. Right. I mean, I'm like, that poor guy's going to break. I mean, he's going to fall apart. Like, stop. He's so steroided out and muscled up. He's going to break into pieces. Yeah. It's like Stretch Armstrong. He's going to bleed corn syrup. That's And that one guy in particular, he is ends up pretending he's all suited up before uh, they're going to kidnap this girl. And he's all suited up like he's the gas man. He's yes. like, um, you know, gas company. And I'm like. Dude, even like that shot where it was like they had like three doors in between them, like three window yeah. doors. I'm like, that's the dude from the beginning. Right. And the, what's so weird about it is that, that at that point when that cop's answering the door, he's got his gun. He's already suspicious. And he, yeah. and the way he answers the door, he doesn't, he answers the door in a, uh, with a man that's not under suspicion. It's, it's like he doesn't care. Yeah, totally. It is weird. It's weird. Anyway, jumping around. Back to the, back to the plot. <laughs> back to the. Uh, bottom line is in this movie, Henry Silva likes to watch. That's all. Henry Silva, yes, yeah, and we and they paid him. You, you know, he's probably the second most recognizable person in this movie at this point in time. He, by the way, I'll say this now because we keep making above the law references, and I'm sure it'll come up again. He talks like twice as much in Above the Law than he does in this movie. Yeah, and yet he's probably on screen half his time, half the time. Exactly. <laughs> Again, Dirty Harry movie, not a lot of talking. You know, while they're back at the PD, you know, Burt Remsen, who's the who's the commander, Kate, Commander Cates. Who you've seen in tons of stuff. Uh-huh. That well, dude's got, I mean, he's in every, I think he's in about half the movies we've talked about covering. <laughs> I feel like he's, isn't he in, uh, he's in, he's in uh, Dick Tracy. He's in, he's in um, Maverick. Yeah. He's in everything. But in, in the, he's busting, you know, Cusack's balls about, about the outcome of the sting. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? It's not his fault. Like, how am he supposed to know? And and I was waiting for him to at one point say, well, you know what? If you weren't staking out the place 10 blocks away, you probably would have right? stopped it from you happening. You probably would have got him. Because they were in no, I mean, when you saw how many cops there were, it didn't make any sense that they were all so far away. I understand if they were kind of gathered. Commander Kate says, you know what? You better, you guys better get out there and, Find out Fix who, this. Yeah, who burned the Camachos before they get found. <laughs> before they find who burned yeah. the Camachos. Yeah. So wrong. So uh, Tony Luna, who, who, who like led the gang that shot the joint up to begin with and robbed everybody, he, he actually survived the whole ordeal. And then he heals, hears that Victor Camacho's still alive. So he's like, man, I got to peace out, man. People are going to come after me. And he's such a selfish son of a bitch. He doesn't care about his family. Yeah, he ruins his wife's birthday. Yeah, because it's her birthday, and she come, and he comes in, man. Dude, that dude has one one volume, and it's like, get the fuck out of my way. I don't care about you. You, I'm more important than you. It doesn't matter who it is. His, his wife, he didn't care. Go upstairs and fetch my shit for me. It's like dude, he's, my favorite part is when he fucking rips the birthday present out of his lackey's hand and slams, yeah. slams it. Here you go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Peace <laughs> out. Get the well, fuck out of here. Like he didn't already know what kind of a dirtbag he was before that. I, you know, right. <laughs> it's been affirmed. <laughs> yes. Vito Antifermo. 
Oh, dude, he's so thank God he's not in this movie a lot because he's actually maybe he gave us more to talk about. Right? Oh man. So Gamiani is his this is like one of the henchmen. He's the one that brings the present and he says, you know, I need to guard, you know, guard my daughter and and my wife and look out for him, kind of thing. But he ends up following her around a bunch. But here's what's really funny, and again, during the research, he plays Lou Gamiani. Okay. Lou Gamiani. The dude's real name is Lou Damiani with a D. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gorlami, anyway. <laughs> Gorlami. Gorlami. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so weird, dude. So, yeah, Gamiani's like going, all right, dude, I got this. And he, he's following the, he's following the girl around everywhere, like everywhere. And you, if, you you recognize her. You see her, and you kind of go, "Wait, she looks familiar. Who who is that?" And what? That's Molly Hagen. This is the first movie she had done, right? Playing uh, Diana Luna. This is uh, Tony Luna's daughter. You may <laughs> recognize her from Herman's Head. Herman's Head. And it was so great about her in this movie. And she takes no shit. She like before Tony like bails on the family. He's like, "Yeah, hey, big surprise. You're you're leaving." You know, you worry about yourself. It's your wife's birthday, and she's just giving it to him. What it surprised me is, like, the way the dude talks to his wife, he's not the way he talks to his daughter. I mean, he's not nice to her, but he doesn't, like, get the fuck out of my way or anything. Right. He's he's not, not, he doesn't seem like he's about to backhand her. Right. But, boy, but he always feels like he's going to in this movie. He feels like he's just, like, on the verge of, like, I forgot my lines. I'm going to punch somebody. Dude, Peter Anafermo. He's taking yeah. all that aggression from Marvin Hagler, pummeling him out. <laughs> so good. And beating it took from Hagler. <laughs> now because Craigie is on, on the outs and he's being investigated and whatever the bullshit's going on with him, it's always weird. They don't really get into it, but then they sort of get back, to, come back to it later. And it's bizarre. Uh, they take the rookie and they stick him with Cusack, and he's like, "This is some bullshit," because <laughs> this is what you say when you're when you. you oh, he didn't have a partner. Now he's got one. He, <laughs> right, he's a lone wolf. Oh no, well, his I partner don't. got shot in the foot. That's right. I forgot. Farina got shot in the foot. Yeah, during that daring escapade at the beginning of the movie. That, <laughs> that's what happens when you show up ten blocks away. By the you way, know, I don't show up just in time to get shot in the foot. That's that's about as nasty as it gets for the cops, though, isn't it? I mean, other than Craigie pulling dumb bullshit that he pulls. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, they get they got their solely the worst they got was shot in the foot. <laughs> so, all right, and Lou is following, you know, the daughter following Bon John Diana everywhere, and she's like a she's like a a teacher or a teacher's aide or something like that. So she's with kids all the time, and she just rolls on them while they're at the zoo and says. You know, hey, back off, dude. So I like, I know you're you're doing this because my dad told you to, but I don't need your protection. F famous last words. Right. Famous last words, Diana Luna. Yeah. Anyway, in between all this, before we start doing this mon getting this montage of Diana Luna walking around and being stalked, we see this little showdown. Uh, so sorry, this little demonstration of. This brand new Prowler police robot. <laughs> it's going to replace the old guys on the force. Yeah. It's RoboCop. Dude. It's, it's Ed 209, dude. <laughs> it is Ed 209. <laughs> That's all I can think about. That's so funny. Just two years later. When you're watching this movie, you're like going, RoboCop, RoboCop, RoboCop. There's so many things about RoboCop in this. <laughs> it's so funny. Right. Paul Verhoeven loves this movie, by the way. Oh, has to. There's, whoever the sculptor was 
for RoboCop. It's it's this it's in this movie. I mean, because well, you know this this robot is a real thing. If you look, watch oh, yeah. all the way to the end credits, dude. They, they, there was some company out of Denver. Yeah. So they're having this big demonstration. Who's running the demo? John Mahoney. Dude, two Mahoney movies in a row. And and, I, and granted, he's not in it very much. No, <laughs> I feel actually like another movie now that I think about. It. No, I feel like I felt I felt like we got cheated out of our Mahoney and striking distance, and then then he showed up, and I was like, oh, holy shit! And then that's it. Yeah, he's he's literally the guy running the demo, and that's all. That's there in eight is. seconds. Yeah. So and then the, again in a very Ed two hundred nine moment when they're first showcasing it right, <laughs> first showcasing Ed in RoboCop, they're showcasing this thing and they go all right hey, let's 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 actually watch a demo and we, they say hey, here's the here's the remote control for it wherever you point it at <laughs> that's where it, that's where the focal Dude, point's gonna be like the dialogue is almost the same it is it's crazy and so how does Cusack, who's now become the target of this demo, how does he circumvent the whole thing? He points the gun at the guy controlling the remote because it, they said, I don't like Ed 209, Ed 209 is 100% on its own once it's in, once it's engaged. In this case, he, whoever's got the remote control has total control. And so he just points the gun at him and says, you know, put down the controller. <laughs> there you go. Or I'll shoot you. Right? Done. Drop it. <laughs> Drop it. Drop it. Drop it, pump. Oh, eh. Jump back to the all the montage of, of Diana Luna being followed everywhere. I really thought that with all the falling around, we would have gotten some a bit more uh, Chicago scenery. It, I really feel like the movie's super tight the whole time. You like, see, like, they pretty much looks like they shot in, like, a 10-block area. Yeah. And there, there's nothing to it. And I think the, they use like a 50 on everything, a 50 mil lens on everything, 35 mil lens on everything. And that's it. They don't, they don't ever go long. They don't never go long lens. They never do anything special about this movie. Like I said, I think they had, I think the permit lasted for a few blocks and then, and then city hall and the library. And that was it. I mean, it's funny because it was a $7 million movie. You know, yeah. in 1985, I mean, it, it, it did, it made like 21 million. I mean, it made its money and I think, you know, but again, yeah, I don't know where, yeah, weird. Yeah. I remember loving it though as a kid. Good God. Saw it at the drive-in. Yeah. I don't think I saw it. Yeah. I didn't see it until that white VHS box showed up <laughs> at the local place. Yeah. I don't know, dude. <laughs> see how excited we are about this? Yeah, man. Totally. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we done? Have the Camachos killed everyone yet? Because <laughs> that's what it is, dude. It's like four montages. A montage of of Diana Luna walking around. It's yep. A, and it's, uh, and if you properly combine everything together, because there's like two montages that that uh, Henry Silva's crew have when they're going out murdering people. Then that's basically what happens through the whole damn thing. Is all is all. It's just montages of people getting murdered. And Cusack finding out that Diana is related to who she's related to. And he goes, cause he tries to help her early on. And she's like, I'm not having your bullshit. I don't, you're a cop. I can smell it on you. Right. But then he takes the Cusack has this unexplained desire to help this girl. Right. It just comes out of nowhere, dude. Like the, the where is it? I mean, it's weird. And they start and lots of times in the movie. Once, once she kind of like, lets him like finally befriends him like like they're alluding to romance romance and stuff it's weird 
Yeah, there's a weird. It's been one. It's been one thing. We, if we need, like, maybe yeah. that's what they cut out. There's some sort of weird. Yeah, because she goes at one point, hold me, <laughs> right? I mean, she basically does. Yeah, it's so bizarre, and I and I'm, I I I don't know. Maybe, was there something that Cusack had in there? Maybe he had a, he had a kid and she died or something. There's no reason for him to be so interested in her. No, because everybody's being slaughtered anyway. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I just know that the Camachos better hurry up and show up and start shooting people. Yeah. So he finally comes around, you know, to this. I think, did she already get away at this point? No. No, not yet. No. It all happens after the. It happens after they slaughter everyone. Yeah, she comes out of the library and the the last of the slaughtered <laughs> crew of of the of the uh, of the Lunas. I'm oh, sorry, of the Scalises is going to be Lou, right? Lou's going to funny, you know, take one, get shivved <laughs> right in front of the library, man, right in front of, right in a crowd of people. He gets stuck and then Diana runs for it. But man, this is her first time yeah. running in her 23 years on the planet. Yeah. Cause he, good Lord. Yeah. She, she doesn't, she does. which leads to one of the longest, most boring foot chases through Chicago. I'm, yes. I've ever I even imagined I would ever see. You're you're begging for that neutron dance at this point, right? You get because you get that terrible like, and it's not even a synth score at this no. point. It's like it's it it seems like it's somewhere stuck between, like you know the 1970s Charles Bronson uh, scores for the later those later Bronson movies yeah. and those early you know James Glickenhaus <laughs> soldier kind of weird scores. That, but this one is not as good as any of those. Yeah. Dude, it's weird. Both both Nick and and Eddie get to the library to help the girl, and um, they can't find her anywhere. And they run outside in the alley and just happen to <laughs> come upon Diana, who's cornered now by four or five of Camacho's dudes, including who all look like they're gonna break dance fight her. Yeah, and there's this guy Angel. And this is the guy that stuck Lou in front of the library, um, and he's just kind of. Again, it's just like with with Henry Silva, Mike. And Henry Silva's in the background in the car watching. It's so, so weird. Yep. He's making sure his boys are living up to their yeah. potential. But here's the thing. What what have the Camachos done since since they got raided where they haven't killed everybody? Yeah, they were the weakest gang in the Warriors, by the way, the Camachos. That's why they left. Um, <laughs> you know, that's why they left Coney Island. Right. Run out of New York. It, and it's just this weird, weird thing. And they're also like, I feel like they're all, they all look like they're like in their fifties, dude. Like Angel yeah. looks like an old man. Yeah. He keeps saying, call him Angel. And I'm like, dude, you're like the oldest dude to those five dudes standing there. <laughs> right? Anyway, like they're Get him, Angel. So Chuck's got his, you know, he's gun pointing at everybody. He's like, everybody drop your guns and everything. And of course, Angel's like, I ain't having that, you know grabs out his knife and grabs the girl, puts it in her throat and kind of then runs off with her. <laughs> right? And doesn't Chuck Norris say, damn it. And he puts his gun away and chases after him. Yeah. Doesn't he literally say that? Yeah. But not until, uh, not until <laughs> Nick runs up behind him. They're just right. catching up. Oh, he's like the guy in the background, like the, the vomits. <laughs> he's yeah. the guy, he's the guy in Saving Private Ryan. 
He was like yeah. hiding upstairs. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, hey. Oh, man. I was checking out the thing in the corner. <laughs> or he's like John C. McGinley in Platoon who crawls into the fucking foxhole and pulls six bodies over the top of him. <laughs> so ridiculous. They're chasing. They're, they're about to jump on the L train. Finally. Yes. And uh, part of me's like going, hey, little Chuck's actually out on top of that train. All right. And But, man, it's moving really slow, like really slow. Like the slowest a possibly can move and still say, I'm not standing still. And they're fighting and he's trying to hold his balance. Like it's such a difficult thing. Like, what do you have vertigo or something, dude? <laughs> just, he might. Just, Angel's not, Angel's making it look like it's a piece of cake. Yeah. Hey, so. I think this was a dry run for the, for later on during the fugitive. <laughs> they're, they're rolling on rehearsal. <laughs> right. It's like, this is like a rehearsal for the fugitive. This, this whole train right. sequence. Yeah. Cause don't they do this exact same thing in the fugitive? Yeah. This is, this is a uh, live action, live action. Uh, uh, right. It's like a story. Hey, look at these storyboards. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you seen the previous? Why does Tommy Lee Jones, why does, why does Dr. Kimball look like Chuck Norris? Oh, sorry. Let's Photoshop his face on there. Yeah. Finally, mercifully, like he, he lets the girl go, right? He's like angel pieces, like inside the cab. And yeah. then he goes up on the top, right? And we got Norris up there stalking him slowly. Yeah. And you, you th- at one point, I go like, oh, God, they're going to do the thing where he hits the, is, are they going to go too low? And Chuck Norris is going to duck and Angel's going to be, right. nope, they're not doing that. No. No. Thank God. What ends up happening is they fight for a little bit and an Angel ends up jumping and they get to a bridge and he jumps in the river and <laughs> they both do, actually. All right. And this is where Chuck Norris says, oh, shit. And yeah. then he puts his gun in his pocket and jumps into the river. Yeah. There, there's the there's the oh shit moment. Oh shit! And, and while they're in the water, they're kind of you know having a little bit of scuffle. <laughs> a speedboat, a big speedboat, just, just takes angel. By. It just this is like, no boating accident. Just runs him over. It's like Whoa. this is a boating accident. <laughs> I wish that the corner would have said that to Norris, like when they were like, if there was a scene they could have added in this slow, already slow movie. Yeah. Hey, what hey. happened to Angel? Yeah. Kuzak says it's a boating accident. Yeah. In the midst of all that fight on the train, um, you know, Diana gets separated from Angel, obviously, at this point. She wasn't on top of the L train with him. No. And she's just sitting down, and, and, and so she's safe, we think, anyway. And then later on, we see her. Yeah. Oh, there she is. She's still okay. And Cusack was taking her to a safe house, which is the safe house you mentioned earlier with the gas company and all that fun stuff. So he leaves her, and this is some older Chicago dude, apparently that used to work for for uh, Eddie Cusack's father, I guess, right? That's, that's right. He's his, his partner. Yeah, that's he, what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> he looks like he's as old as everybody else in the movie, but he's you know his dad got it in seventy one. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> right. I'm like seventy one. I'm like, wait, why wasn't he over in Vietnam? <laughs> His dad was probably 71 and 71. Yeah. Chuck Norris was there. Chuck R- Norris R- was 30, 30 in 31 in 1971. See? He's too old to be in Vietnam. Right. Uh, by quite a bit. Yeah. Maybe his little brother was there. That's the little brother, Braddock. That's the Braddock is his cousin, right? Yep. For mission. Braddock. Missing that. Missing Colonel National. Braddock. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to um, Craigie's hearing now. And the night before the hearing, though, Nick calls up uh, Eddie and says, dude, come meet me drunk, at the bar. Drunk dials him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, I, I need to talk to you, man. Come see me, man. 
And the only moment with any levity and actually functioning levity. Yes. Is this is a cop bar that Nick is in. He's asked Eddie to meet him at. It's funny because they cut to these two dudes sitting outside in a car and you don't know it's the same bar. And this is like one of the few times they're pseudo creative. Like this could have been the opening of the movie for. Yes. Uh, very much, very much like the opening of Sudden Impact. Go ahead, make my day that whole bit. These two punks go in there to rob the place and they, and they walk in there and they draw their guns like, everybody put your fucking hands up. This is a robbery. They're not even done speaking. And 45 guys draw on and 45 them. guys draw on because they have no idea that they're in a cop bar. And then the reaction between the two guys as, as, the, as the one guy turns on the other guy. Yeah. Is, it's really funny, but it doesn't last nearly long enough. And no. it, came, it comes far too late. No. Soon enough, Eddie shows up at the bar and they're like, what's going What's up with these guys? And he's like, well, they're trying to stick us up. <laughs> we, called in, we called in for a wagon 45 minutes ago, but they think we're pulling one on them. They're, they don't think it's real. There you go. Yeah. So Eddie gets back there and talks to Nick, and Nick just says, "Dude, I thought I was gonna be a good cop. I thought I was gonna. I thought I had what it takes, but you know, he put the gun on him. I saw him. I put the gun on the kid. I saw him do it. And he's like, so you're so you gonna yet you, you have to testify that, dude. You know, fuck all these people. And if you don't tell anybody, you're gonna feel terrible about it, right? Yeah, so go do it. But then I gotta work with these guys." So the next day rolls around. <laughs> so, yeah, so now we're at the hearing for Craigie. And then Nick gets on the stand and goes, yep. <laughs> Unlike Sarah Jessica Parker in Striking Distance, who purges herself, he purges himself in favor. <laughs> in favor of in the, favor dirty of the fact that cop, it, yeah. dirty old drunk Craigie. Yeah, scumbags. Code of silence. Code of silence. Code of silence. So it's funny because they don't really, do they ever really spread that out there? Do they ever say code of silence and no, explain it? No, they don't. It? I kept waiting for it to happen. Like I kept waiting for them, you know, the, you know, it's the unknown code, the code of silence. You know, <laughs> it'd be like the opening of like some cheesy grindhouse movie. Code or of the silence. Cone of, the cone of silence. The code of silence is the unwritten law between officers and never report on the other right. ones. It was like it's. Or you get it that, or it's in the beginning of Above the Law. You get it right there in the corner <laughs> of the <laughs> opening <laughs> shot in this tiny Chiron that you can barely read. Yeah. The code of silence. <laughs> or then you'll hear that, you know, if it was a future movie, you'd hear that as it's, as the characters come up on the screen, like it's being typed live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Garbage. And Eddie's sitting there the whole time watching the confession and he just sees and as soon as Nick gets to that point and he just perjures himself and lies that he didn't see that he's that the kid had the weapon. He's just like, Oh, I'm so disappointed in you, Nick. <laughs> it's like a right? father thing. He just goes, This is why I don't like partners. Right. Long sigh, disapproving mm. eyes. Yeah. Nick can't look at him. And now Eddie's got to take the stand. Yeah. So Eddie gets up there. And that's another thing, too. First of all, when he's just sitting there, I'm like, what the fuck's he there for? I'm like, oh, yeah, he was overseeing the whole operation. You know, Cusack gets up there and, and enough of an exchange to know that he does not like Craig either, as if we didn't know that already. And But we also find out that he had filed a report for him sometime before that, you know, wanting him to be transferred out of the unit. And he's like, fuck this guy. He sucks. And he says something to the effect of, well, you know what? Maybe you can't do anything for 30 years and not have an effect on you. Right. So it's basically, he was trying to like be the nice Chuck Norris and say, look, dude, you, you shouldn't be a cop anymore, but at least put you at a desk or something. 
right? Yeah, take him off. He doesn't belong on the street anymore. Yeah. So what happens? Nothing. Craigie is off, sort of. We don't know. <laughs> We're going to find out something the next day, I guess, right? <laughs> something. While this is all happening, the aforementioned uh, dressed-up gas, gas company hood <laughs> right, is over at Pirelli's house in the, the safe house with Diana and... He's there with a couple other, a few other goons, and Pirelli ends up dead, and Diana's gone. Cusack races down there, knowing that he's been, there's been some kind of issue at the apartment because he's calling and there's no phone, there's no, it's not ringing or it's disconnected, which I thought was really funny. Have you ever had made a phone call and ever say it was disconnected because somebody got killed at the house? No. There's no, even if you pull the stupid thing out of the wall, it doesn't yeah, matter. Anything. It just rings. It just rings. Uh, the silent rings. Anyway, maybe that's the Chicago way. <laughs> Chicago way. Oh my gosh! Because Cusack basically rolled over on Craigie the entire, uh, the the entire precinct. Like fuck that guy. Yeah, he fuck Cusack. Just like striking distance. Fuck that that rat. Yep. Except for he's got no river to... Well, there was a river, huh? Whoa, he was in the river. He was on... He made a wave when he jumped in, too. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I won't say it, but we know. We know what... We know what... We know how it goes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, so he gets the hangout, and I don't know... And he, it's so funny, because, you know, I was... I peeked the wiki on this one, and it said that he calls for... um calls on radio for backup, but he doesn't. Does he? He just yeah, called... Yeah, he does. He does. does. He? I thought and, he just and, called it in and and no, dispatcher and then it cut. goes to a montage of like every single cop they well, cut to them. Right. And like nobody will there's a dead dog. Sorry, there's a dead dog blocking the road working for animal control. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get, you know, again, it's it's like the opening sequence during the stakeout. I could have rewound it and listened to it, but it was like I was so disinterested in nah. doing that. Even though I could just went 10 second rewind and watched it, but I didn't. No, no, no. They're yeah, they're all like, yeah, they they all they show each and every one of them basically turn the radio off. One guy yeah. says there's a dead dog here, we can't leave, blah, blah, blah. So so Kuzak's rolling into this bar alone. Yeah. And he shows up there and we see Camacho's brothers there. Oh, that's where he gets bloodied. His yeah, that's where he kicks bloody. the shit out of him. He smashes yeah, his face smashes into his, his in the mirror coke. of cocaine. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get that shot earlier, dude. Right? Right? I mean, it, well, now it looks like and when, he, when he drags him and he walks out of the office with him, he looks like somebody had beaten his ass and thrown Comet in his face. Yeah. Like, so what happened to you? Cornstarch, man. Jesus. Dude, you look like that. <laughs> what, what's going on? So he has this little, this is, this is the most Kung fu moment we get in the movie. This is actually kind of, it's kind of fun, but I feel like there's a very similar piece to this, like in another Chuck Norris movie called Silent Rage. Yeah. But yes, we do get a little Kung fu He takes on these like 13 dudes, 12, 13 dudes. And he only takes them on when Luis shows up and goes, oh yeah, tune them up. <laughs> Right. So then they start, but he's like fighting. Mean, they're doing that thing where they're like one, only fighting like one person at a time. I thought the same thing. You just rush him, dude. There's like you've got him surrounded. This isn't a fucking square dance, dude. Right. Now you take your partner, kick him in the face. <laughs> just do it, man. And then you know he has his moments where he's beating his beating their ass, and you feel like I'm like, oh, 
he, he, nobody's on the ground at this point. I'm like, you're not, they're not dominoes, man. <laughs> All you're doing is just getting them off you long enough to say that they're not holding on to you anymore. Right. Long enough for them to go to the back of the line waiting yeah. the next turn. Yeah. Square dance. Exactly. I do love the uh, this shot of the pool, you know, the pool ball, and then it, then it comes flying across the room. <laughs> it's in the head. Oh, dude, how like how slastic was that shit? <laughs> <laughs> that was straight ass Three Stooges, man. It was, but it was pretty funny. When he he grabs it, I'm like, think, hey, wait, see that? I thought it would have made more sense for him to grab punch it. him with it in his hand or something. Yeah. 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 Well, you know. It's... What if you miss and hit one of your friends? Because <laughs> <laughs> there sure were a lot of them. There were a lot of people to hit. Yeah, for sure, right? Like, apparently that guy had been a pitcher for the Cubs at one point. So ridiculous. In the midst of all this, while well, he's like, you know, he finally fights about as much as he can fight and get, you know what I mean? He's all done. And you just figure he's, maybe someone's going to show up because Dorado finds out what's going on, right? Right. Cause and he's he shows up. He's like, "Yeah, hey, man, they're hiding my radio from me, man. I didn't know what was going on." And he finds Cusack, and he's not dead. I'm like, "How did he not get killed?" Right. I wasn't sure why Henry Silva said take. I guess Henry Silva wanted him to lead him to the girl or some. Or he was the guy. There was some. There oh, was some piece right. of dialogue. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that part. See, <laughs> because they don't really say it. I mean, I guess he does because he says, hey, you know what? You bring us the, bring you bring us, us the father, Bring right? us the dad. And that's when Dorado, that's when Dorado shows up is when he tells Cusack that, yeah, Tony Luna is, you know, he's he's been hanging out in Wisconsin. He's coming to Chicago tonight. Then that's all true. So Cusack's waiting outside the station for Luna to show up, right? Nope. Scalise rolls up in the limo and snatches him up earlier. I'm like, oh, look at that. Scalise's taking care of his man. And then you realize that's not what's happening. No, no. Here's the thing that they kind of touch on briefly. That Scalise is is Tony Luna's uncle, and they kind of you know, <laughs> you know. So now Scalise's giving him shit. You know, Uncle Scalise. Yeah. What do you What do you do, man? You incited a gang war for for what? For your fuck up? This is where we find out Tony Luna is kind of like he's like the uh, he's he's like Eric Roberts' character in Public Grange Village. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like the Polly of the Chicago little mob family. Yeah. It sounds good. <laughs> Whatever. I got to, I mean, again, talking about better movies. Uh-huh. So limo driver notices that Cusack is in the back. I always love how, how these limo drivers are like, they, they're not too busy focusing on driving this very large vehicle. They're always noticing there's people behind them. Well, this is where we get, we, we get a fairly decent car chase. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. So happening. Right, right after Cusack has been spotted, they kind of end up in a little bit of a chase. And the Lone ends up like crashing into a parked car and lands on its roof. <laughs> so funny. Right. And then it explodes because, you know, whatever. So then Luna and Scalise are killed in the explosion. I'm like, well, here's what sucks now. Well, dude, now what do we do? Well, Cusack's got, <laughs> Cusack's got nothing to give. He doesn't no have backup. his part of the trade. And no backup. And no backup. So what does he do? He turns to the one thing that he mocked earlier in the movie. Yeah. The Prowler robot. Just happens to be stored in a big crate down at the dock. <laughs> right near where the hideout is where they where Camacho has Diana. <laughs> Very close by, thankfully. It's so good. It's all yeah. about convenience, man. Keep them locations close together, man. And bad writing. Whatever. Yeah, I'm sure that was the UPA. Look, dude, we got to keep, we, we, the less we have to move base camp, yeah. 
the more shooting days we can have, guys. Uh-huh. And I just think I just think they just turn the camera on the other way in the warehouse that they're in. Yeah, same place. You wouldn't be surprised if the inside of that that bar that we were just at was just a build out somewhere in the, in that warehouse. Also, but could have been. Yeah. Or you know, or yes, exactly. So Cusack, who mocked the Prowler, hardly stayed for the entire demonstration, the beginning, and wasn't even paying attention to begin with. Fully understands how this thing works. Yeah. Yeah, and he's controlling it, and it's doing things that we hadn't seen it do before. Thinking out, see, that's what happens when the remote controller is somebody thinking outside the box. Yeah, man. <laughs> Code of silence. Code of silence. Best partner he ever had. He's blown the shit out of everything. And part of me is like, this is what's really funny about this moment of the movie. The Prowler is there to be his backup. Yeah. But man, he's shooting rock. By the way, where does Chuck Norris get a rocket launcher from? Dude. Well, no. Do you remember he went to that, he went to that, uh, to the police lockup where those armored cars were we're somewhere. And he went into a locker and he came out with a case with a bunch of shit in it. I I, I just guess the rocket launcher was in that case that he I guess. Yeah. It was, it was, it kind of happened very quickly. And I was like, well, well, okay, well, I'll just go with it. I guess that case was, you know, it's, it's that case you find in every movie. And yeah, it's the case you find in every movie and every Chuck Norris movie's got a rocket launcher at some point in it. Right? Every movie in the eighties had a rocket like, launcher. Well, did every single one of the MI, uh, MIA movies, right? Doesn't he have like a rocket yeah. launcher in his arms? Bazook, yeah, totally. <laughs> or an AK. Yeah. You know, shoots. He, he had, well, yes. He always had some sort of, uh, Air to surface, you know, surface to air missile. Yeah. Like, and it was, heck, even, uh, hell, even Rambo, right? Even First Blood Part Two. Yep. Doesn't he have a gun in one hand and the rocket launcher in the other? No, he's just holding the rocket launcher, right? I think it's Rambo Three, right? He's shooting down the helicopter in Afghanistan, the Russian cop. Whoa, I lost. With the RPG. That was weird. My Rambos get confused after the first one. Yeah, when they start using the word Rambo in the title. They're just all the same. (laughs) I hate, by the way, really quick, I hate that they rebranded First Blood. Oh, yeah, the worst. It's like, that's not the name of the movie. Stop that. Yes. I mean, there's got to be a complaint about that with the, you know, with the Library of Congress, right? You can't keep putting that, hey, this is the same movie, we changed the title. Well, it's like Star Star Wars, A New Hope. Fuck that, too. It's just called Star Wars. Yeah. For me. Yeah, if somebody asks me, what are, you, what are you talking about? Star Wars. Which one? Star Wars. 1977 Star Wars. Right. There. Star Wars. And you know, that's the one I'd rather watch anyway. I don't want to watch whatever he did to it in 94 and whatever he did to it in 99. No, man. Stop that. Naughty. Naughty. <laughs> Naughty. Punish. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, so, yeah, Cusack. Just, dude, now Cusack's like a one-man army with a fucking rocket launcher and a yeah. tank and a 50-cal machine gun. Yeah. All at the touch of his fingertips. Yeah. And there was one thing we should point out, too, is like as he's gathering all that stuff from the lockup, He's getting shit from all the other cops there. <laughs> just you, know, you piece of shit. Cause it's no different than striking distance, right? Where he's just getting oh, no. berated. But nobody wants to fight Kuzak. <laughs> Nobody's willing to take a shot at Kuzak. You know, because yeah, because if he's breaking homeboy's wrist, just working out. Because <laughs> Kuzak on. will kick your ass. Yeah. Right after he leaves, though, before he even engages anybody in the dock. You know, Nick just goes, you guys are a bunch of bitches. You know, he's like, fuck this. Craigie, you piece of shit. You know, I'm not lying for you anymore. And I'm like, yep, Craigie put the gun on the kid. 
And then everyone's like, what? <laughs> what you say? Come on. No one's mad at it. Like, look, you made us go through all that stuff and you lied on the stand, you dick. You perjured yourself and now, like, you're like dude, and he does it in front of all the cops. So yeah. now, yeah, he's, just, he's in the precinct he, and he just unloads. He's like a double liar. And this, and this is that weird moment we talked about earlier. And I kind of alluded to it. While Nick is just like berating him, going, fuck you, dude, you're a piece of shit. You planned the gun. He goes, oh, yeah. And he reaches down and he got another gun just like that in his ankle. Who's this for? Your next fuck up? Yeah. And I'm like, wait, with, with what happened to him? Why would he have that gun on him? Don't all cops wear a backup on the It's ankle. like it's the same gun. I know. It's, it's like he got it back from yeah. the evidence lockup. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm going to take that kid's gun and do some good with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fight crime. Oh, my gosh. It's so, like, it's so confusing. I'm like, I'm sorry. When you know you're being accused of X, you make sure that X isn't, you don't have any X on you when it happens. Yeah, totally. You know, for the rest of the way until you're finally cleared, you don't have, heck, even after you're cleared, you don't have. You might want to leave that flask at home too. Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, Phil throwback for you. He was boozing it up in the beginning of the movie. He was. Sitting in the park, dude, pouring <laughs> in broad daylight. Right, he felt like he, he had the, the time because they were like, 50 blocks away from the place. Right. They, they, yeah, they were a good 50 blocks away. <laughs> Stupid. And yet they're the first ones there, I think, right? Perimeter. Perimeter defense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so like like you said, the, the Prowler is now being engaged and it's doing shit left and right. It's blowing crap up. By the way, I can't believe that a, that a Chicago Police Department had the need to have the kind of explosives and, and armory that's coming off of this off this vehicle. It's blowing shit up, man. It has its own rocket launchers, and it's just, it's just spraying fifty cal everywhere, too. Right, people are dropping like it's, it, it's starting to look like commando. Yeah, this is where it really feels like a cannon movie, like in a big way. A hundred percent. Super wide, and by the way, this is the only time we get those wide shots. The rest of the time, it's super mediums and close-ups. Where like I'm watching a fight, dude. Stay wide. I want to see the fight. This is the first time they actually stay wide. Because you need to see the whole scope because the explosion spreads way beyond the frame if they didn't. Right. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It is just fireballs and, and fireworks everywhere. Bullets and fire. Yeah, dude, sparks coming from the ceiling. And But what's funny is, like, you know that the, the Prowler's been engaged and the first explosion, the door blows away. It's not the Prowler. <laughs> no way. It's it's Eddie. It's Eddie Cusack there <laughs> with this fucking rocket launcher. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? And then while everybody's distracted like that and he's trying to spray bullets, boom, the other side of the warehouse blows up and and there's the prowler. And everybody for some reason stops focusing on Eddie and focuses on the prowler. You're the one thing they can't stop. <laughs> they stop. So they turn their back on Cusack and then he's able to get in position and fortify himself while the prowler does its thing. Is it? It's very long and drawn out. I don't know. I, I think it's so silly that he he turned to the Prowler, the one thing that he mocked in the in the in the beginning of the movie, because this, like, this is not this this can't be a cop. This can't do what I need to do. Yeah. Well, this is a sign that you know Kuzak has changed. You because <laughs> you couldn't tell by looking at his face at this point or his hair. Yeah, there's something <laughs> to happen in this movie, man. Where you just like, like we mentioned before, he started he befriends this girl for no apparent reason. A um, mob family's 
your granddaughter or aunt or niece at least, right? Somebody, and, yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's just weird shit. But we finally get to the point where it just it comes down to just Luis and and Eddie Cusack versus Camacho after you know after the Prowler and Cusack have sprayed down everybody else. Right, I'm, <laughs> there's nobody left except for Camacho and, thankf- and Kuzak. And thankfully, you know Diana's nowhere near all this. She's in a different part of the warehouse. <laughs> right, she's locked up in a closet. When they finally get to her, and she's kind of like just hanging there with her arms all like bound above her head, that she never kind of acts like there's been this war going on outside her the room that she's in. <laughs> she just right. kind of like, like she's been oblivious to the whole thing. Oh, uh, like like maybe she's drugged up. Maybe she got drugged up by Henry Silva, drugged up everybody else. Right. Well, I was going to say, if this was above the law, we we know Henry Silva shot her full of heroin. Yeah. Heroin. We don't, we don't, we don't see that. We don't see that kind of bad stuff happen in this movie. No. No. And it's almost like, like it, sometimes in, in above the law, there's too much going on in this movie. There's nothing going on. Yeah, kind of. Right. There's just. Andrew Davis went the other way with this one. <laughs> Hey, you went full tilt boogie on the next time out. It's like going. If you think about it, everybody is all amped up. Henry Silva's more talkative. Uh, Mullethead is like, he's like super active. Pam Greer. <laughs> everybody. So Camacho's like running around. He shoots him in the back because he's going after the girl. And he's going, and he's like, boom, I shot you in your back. You fucker. So a dirty Harry moment, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> Silva coming at her with a hammer. Like, and I was like, oh, yeah, this would be kind of. This moment, this reminded me of this Charles Bronson movie called The Evil That Men Do. Like, you know, I was like, oh, fuck, is he going to hit? He's going to beat her. He's going to hit her with a fucking hammer. And then it's the weirdest, like, smallest. It looks like a a mason's hammer, like, you know, that you tap bricks together. It's it's, it's like a a, a pickaxe. Like a pickaxe hammer. It was like, it's crazy. So, but he's like going after that. He gets shot in the back. And the only cinematic shot in the entire movie. Right. Was they had the camera on the floor, quote unquote, dead Henry Silva laying on the ground, perfectly in frame and in focus. And he got Chuck in the back, blurred out. And then Henry's eyes open. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's like the only like moment in the whole movie where, I mean, it stood out. Right. I felt, I felt like it suddenly turned into silent rage or like, you know, it was a very, Friday the 13th, Jason kind of, yeah. I was just like, it seemed so weirdly out of place, you know? Cause he, he gets, cause he gets up and he, and he continues going after the girl, like he's Robocop, like he, like he's the Terminator, like he's got one mission. And at this point yeah. I got a bullet in him. I got, I, I got a fucking 45 in my back and I'm still going to go, <laughs> I'm still going to go after this. Yeah. And right as he gets into the doorway, you know, where the, where Diana is, he gets shot again, and this time he's dead. But it's just kind of like, wow. And then, of course, the backup finally shows up. Finally. <laughs> oh, hey, Cusack, dude. And, you know, Cusack, here's Cusack carrying Diana out of the place. Like, you know, right, it kind of looks like the end of fucking, uh, was it Bride of Frankenstein? Yeah. <laughs> Buildings on fire. Uh, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he puts... He, Puts Diana on the on the gurney and the ambulance loads her up and it's so weird. And you, just before that, he just kisses her on the forehead. I, I mean, dude, I'm telling you, there's something missing. Like, like it, like he's really her godfather, you know? Because something, you know, man. Like he he's her guardian he, angel. He and Luna grew up together or something. <laughs> dude, right. There's no explanation. Weird. 
Where like he gave his daughter up for adoption and she was taken by, <laughs> the, in by the Luna family. Which makes and the, all, it's his secret. It's what he's been carrying around all these years. Why he's so quiet and surly. Yeah. These. So uh, Kate walks up to, uh, you know, at the end of it all, after Amos drives off, he looks at Cusack. Hey, man, are you going to come into work tomorrow? And he looks around and he sees that, you know, getting thumbs up from all his cop friends. And he goes, yeah, and just kind of like nods. Yeah. And then. He tries Cor- to do his best Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah. Dorado rolls up to him and starts pitching him his new idea, which is an ongoing his new. Joke. It was another running gag that yeah. just didn't work. Yeah, we're gonna get so we're gonna get uh, alpacas and when he never says that, but alligator farm, <laughs> alligator, two words, alligator farming. Uh-huh. Dennis Farina subdued performance. Yeah, that was Dennis Farina. I think this might have been like was he? He was on I think he was on Crime Story or started yeah, yeah, Crime yeah. Story right after yeah, this. Yeah, I think he was yeah. still. I think he was still a working cop while he was doing Code of Silence. I think he might have been, which explains why he's not in the movie a lot. Yeah, I feel like they, you know. They wanted to use him more, but um, I think that's kind of why they shot him in the foot. Yeah, exactly. That's the goof on him. Like, that's the worst thing you can do to get put, you know, put on desk duty as a cop, <laughs> get shot in the foot. Because uh, I want to say he's probably the best thing in the movie. Like, I love, yeah. I love the scene, like, where he's getting his cast signed. <laughs> you know, he's in the bar with the two women. She's a proctologist. Don't turn your back on her. <laughs> All that, you know, he's yeah. great. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing his Farina stuff, but he's doing it very low key at this point. Hey, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Wasn't Kriege, is Kriege the dispatcher in the Blues Brothers? The police dispatcher? Is he? I think so. And I just think it's another Chicago movie, but he, his face is so familiar to me. I feel like, I feel like he yeah, had to be in the Blues it's, Brothers It's too. totally him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, dude, that's all, are you ready for this? That's only his second movie, dude. Blues Brothers. Code of Silence? Blues Brothers. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I think he's a former cop too, dude. Cause yeah, I mean, they do, they all look like fucking He cops. plays a cop and everything. That's the best thing about this, about it's the thing I do love about Andrew Davis movies is that all the cops look like cops. They, they don't look like, and they talk like cops and they act like cops. They don't, you know, it's not like you're looking at some actor pretending to be a cop or, you know, or they just, they, you know, I kind of dig that about them. I mean, you know, sometimes the performances are a little, uh, yeah, but you know, I gotta say, but Kriege, I guess I bet that guy was a cop. He must have been. And it's funny. I mean, I've seen this movie at least twice, maybe three times before I ever saw Home Alone. Same thing with Blues Brothers or Raw Deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vice right. versa. I mean, I, I just, the package above the law. I mean, I should have known this face, right? Nope, I didn't recognize him when he was on screen. But soon, but in this movie, though, as soon as you heard his voice, I'm like, oh, well, that's code of silence. It's code of silence for you. Uh, Definitely one to remember. <laughs> Not to revisit. I have nothing else to say about it. Yeah, man, I'm done. Um, and that's it. I think we cover everybody, right? We cover everybody that's considered a quote unquote late 80s, early 90s action star. We got everybody right. Yeah, I think so, man. I think I, I feel like we I feel like we did it. Oh, you know what? I think we left out a couple. I think we like left out Dolph Lundgren and Yeah, but I don't know if Dolph. We we talked about doing doing uh, Dark Angel, but Red Scorpion. Red Scorpion. <laughs> Which is really the Russian version of Rambo. Yeah, there's not much yeah. 
so there, there, there it is. I have no idea what we have planned next movie wise. <laughs> I don't either, man. Cause we were like, we were like just hanging on the stars, letting stars kind of carry us the last three months, two months, whatever it's been long time. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Culp, the official at Karate Pod, or on Instagram at Culprit97, or on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. And if you want to support us on Patreon, you can support us on patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Raven Shattuck on Twitter. You can follow me at Rock and Roller 33 on your Instagram, on Letterboxd under Tom Cody. Tom Cody. 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 It was another time in another place. <laughs>